Well, the day is finally here. God has got me up front. <laughs> uh, this has been many, many years in the coming and the making, and I'm really excited that the church has given me this opportunity, and I'm looking forward to hopefully having many more. We'll see how today goes. Um, today I got the opportunity to speak on the story, chapter 9, uh, the book of Ruth. Um, and the book of Ruth is a very interesting book. It's kind of like watching a foreign film without subtitles if you don't understand what's going on with the culture and the customs of the time. Um, it's, there's a lot of really unique intricacies within the story uh, that uh, you may miss just reading the first time. You may just look at it as a love story, and that's about it. Um, but the story itself, it's, the book's named Ruth, but Ruth isn't even the main character. The main character is Naomi, and it's her life that's kind of being portrayed, although Ruth is a big section of it. Um, the story takes, takes place uh, at first in Bethlehem, and um, what is happening is there's actually a famine in the land, and Naomi and her husband Elimelech have to make a decision um, on what they're going to do. And uh, they come up with the decision. They're going to actually move to Moab for a short time, um, hopefully uh, just to live through the famine that's happening um, in Bethlehem. Um, the issue with this is they're moving to Moab, which is a pretty much a, pagans, a pagansville. That's what we're going to call it. Um, they worshipped idols. Uh, they were not uh, worshippers of God. Uh, they were also major enemies for a long time with Israel. And, um, but besides all that, they still decide to pack up and move. Um, when they arrived in Moab, Elimelech basically uh, dies and leaves his wife uh, and their two sons um, in Moab alone. Um, shortly after this, their two sons uh, marry Moabite women, which is also something that Israelites shouldn't be doing, uh, but they do. They take two wives, one's Orpah, the other one's Ruth. Um, and unfortunately, 10 years after that, the sons die. So here's Naomi and the two daughters-in-law um, left alone, uh, Naomi in a foreign land, um, and full of grief at this point. And uh, what's unique about this is um, she's basically left with nothing. She has uh, um, anything that would bring security in her, in her life uh, past, um, past this because there's, you know, she's a widow. She has no kids to take care of her. Um, and we'll get a little bit into that here in a, in a minute. Uh, but God decides to send word to Naomi uh, through, in Moab that the famine has been lifted and um, she decides she's going to return to Bethlehem where, um, where she has at least understanding of the culture and the customs. Um, Naomi decides to pack up and head back at first with her two daughters-in-law, which she then decides to send back and tell them, don't come with me, it's better for you to stay here. Um, it's safer for you here. Go back to your, your parents' home. Um, hopefully God will bless you and you can get remarried and live uh, long lives. Um, Orpah decides after one, uh, after saying, no, I'd rather go with you. She says, Naomi says, no, 
head back. Orpah decides to leave and go back to her family. Ruth, on the other hand, decides she is going to cling to her mother-in-law um, and go forward to Bethlehem. Um, and what's really interesting is, is she basically, Ruth decides she's going to basically leave everything behind. Um, she decides she's going to follow Naomi no matter what. And not only that, she's going to have a conversion at this point from uh, worshiping pagan gods to actually worshiping God. Um, she says in Ruth uh, 1, 15 through uh, 1, 16, uh, Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you from me. Um, what's really important here is uh, it's not necessarily important that Ruth goes back with, um, with Naomi, but it's kind of working into what God has planned uh, through, the, through the book of Ruth. And it's just amazing. We're going to get in to see what God's really going to use Ruth for in Naomi's life. Um, when they get now they're on their way back when they arrive to Bethlehem we kind of get a glimpse of how bitter and how uh, grieved um, Naomi has come from losing her son her sons and her husband um, as she's coming into town Bethlehem you have to understand at this time it's about 200 people so it's a small town community kind of like what we have here you kind of know what's going on throughout the community but she comes back into town, and the first thing she hears is a lot of the uh, people of the town are like, is this Naomi? Not quite sure if it's because she's been gone for roughly about 10, 15 years, or if it's just because of her demeanor. Naomi's name uh, means pleasant and sweet, and obviously this individual coming back is anything but that. Her response to to these individuals is, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has dealt with me uh, bitterly, has basically taken everything from me. And I'm just sharing briefly, so I'm, I'm hoping you guys read the story, because this is kind of like a quick overview. This isn't the full story. And the reason I'm doing this is to kind of show that Naomi herself has allowed the circumstances in life to change her outlook on life. She be goes from being from being sweet and loving God and having her hope and faith in God to becoming completely bitter. And you can see by her circumstances, it's very easy to connect with her that we go through things in life that are going to change our outlook for a period of time. And she's come to this place of just complete bitterness where she believes God has abandoned her, has left her, judged her, and um, has no longer had anything good for her. So she's just going to push it all away and live in this bitterness. The good news is, God has more to this story, and he has more, uh, a really good way of bringing redemption to uh, Naomi, and it's really um, amazing how, uh, even though we think, and we look at our circumstances, and we get, we dive into them, and we just get locked in that, and concentrate on what is happening, versus God, what are you trying to do? And uh, pretty soon here, God kind of reveals this to Naomi that he's trying to do something greater. Within this book, like I said before, there's a few 
culture issues that we may not understand, some customs that uh, aren't fully explained um, in this particular book, but we know that Naomi needs a redeemer. And uh, in this time in uh, Bethlehem, there is a title that uh, is given to a redeemer. It's called uh, a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer, and it's an individual within a family that has the ability to redeem by uh, helping out by purchasing land or purchasing these individuals. Um, um, it's a take that back. Give me one second. <laughs> um, it's kinsman. It's a provision that God has placed for the poor and the widow. In this case, we have both poor and widow, which is Naomi. She doesn't have a way of supporting herself much other than the land that was left to her husband um, and to her, uh, that would be left to her kids. And in the story, we have a kinsman redeemer that comes out and his name is Boaz. Um, he is a close relative to, to Elimelech, which was Naomi's husband. And in a minute here, we're going to kind of see a little bit of how uh, God brought these different circumstances in to draw, him, draw this, this theme out. Just to give you a background, a kinsman redeemer uh, was put into the Levitical law and the particular purpose was to allow God's people to show God's heart through trusting in him and giving them an opportunity to demonstrate the love and justice of God through, through helping, um, helping the poor, taking care of the poor, the widows, orphans, and the others of what we, we would consider the the least of these in their communities. A kingdom, re, a kinsman redeemer would have to, uh, has a possibility of doing a few different things. There's a, a custom such as this, like a, lever, a leverite marriage, which was when uh, two people got married, the husband would die, a kinsman would come in, typically a brother would come in and remarry that wife. And that individual would, they would have a child. That first child would actually be the redeemer or would be the, the heir to the dead um, husband's land, uh, which was very important. It gave worth to uh, the people in Israel. That's kind of a lot of their stuff is based on land. And it gave them ability to actually plant and, and make money at this time. And that firstborn would actually bear the name of the dead man's brother, um, in this case, there wasn't a brother, so somebody else would have to step in, uh, would have to be an, another, a near relative or a kinsman. Like I said, this custom was very important for the preservation of land within the family and for protection and provision for the widow, because widows had very little means of providing for themselves except through this law. Most of them would end up having to sell off the land, which would remove it from, obviously, their family and you know, basically either that or sell themselves into a slavery, which was, which was never good, which actually happened a lot during this time, being it was in uh, a famine. A lot of people just didn't have the ability, the funding, or the way to work. There's five cr criteria to qualify somebody as a kinsman, uh, kinsman redeemer. Uh, they had to be a near relative, like I said, to the one that's being redeemed. Uh, they had to be willing to work they had to be willing to perform the work of redemption, whatever that looked like, either paying their debt 
uh, buying back the land or just uh, uh, whatever, whatever it took to redeem them from that position. They had to possess the ability to redeem, so um, they could not be in debt themselves. Uh, they had to uh, have that ability. They had to be free to pay, which also means they couldn't be slaves themselves. They had to basically um, be able to do it themselves. They didn't have to have any reoccurring debt themselves. The Redeemer had to pay the full value of the price of redemption. This was a, a seller's market, okay? So you couldn't just negotiate it. You had to pay whatever price the individual said had to be paid for that. They also had to, um, the Redeemer had to basically take the uh, full brunt of, this is not for me. This is, all benefits go to the individual that you're redeeming. It completely benefited them. Uh, the kinsman redeemer was also called upon to give of his own resources to benefit others. This point cannot be stressed enough. So basically, it was all give with no idea of return that, that was attached to it. And for the most part, this was an opportunity for the children of God to show the love of God. And that was, that's the most important thing we can talk about. We can share about that. Um, and in this particular case of Naomi and her family, Boaz was uh, was a wealthy um, wealthy family member uh, who had plenty of land. Um, he was a great businessman. And what happens is actually it's it's pretty funny how God works things. Um, when they've come back, it's the end of that's actually the start of the barley harvest, um, which is the first harvest of the year. And it just so happens, uh, these two are poor, they need something to eat, and Ruth says, hey, Naomi, is it okay if I go out and glean from the fields? And basically, gleaning from the fields as you go out, and the, as they're doing the, farmers, uh, the harvest, uh, the, they're not supposed to actually do the corners, and they're supposed to leave whatever hits the ground for the poor and the widows to come out and actually pick up. That's how they got their food. It was their food program to feed the poor and the widows. And what happens is Ruth goes out and she could have picked any field within this community and she just so happens stumbles across Boaz's field. And that morning she goes, she's going through and she's gleaning in the field and Boaz just so happens to show up and to check in on his field and takes notice of her right away. And it's kind of one of those things where you can kind of see God's hand in this because of all the fields and all of Bethlehem, she ends up at Boaz's. And Boaz basically is uh, talking with his, his servants and asking who this is, and they explain this is Ruth who came back with um, Naomi, and she's been taking care of her mother-in-law. And he basically says, let's uh, drop a little extra grain for her, Let's make sure that she's uh, doing, uh, she gets enough to feed herself and her mother, her mother-in-law, and um, basically does this to show favor to her because she's in a foreign land uh, with foreign people and she has enough guts and God has shown her enough favor to take her under the wing and bring her into, take him under the wing and, and basically protect and save her from any wrongdoings that would be happening in the area at the time. 
Um, so, kind of tying this a little bit together here. So, um, the, uh, Ruth finishes out the day, and she heads back to Naomi with this abundance of grain uh, for them to uh, make into bread and, and, and eat and whatnot. And um, Naomi's excited, looking at, at this big haul that she's brought back, and she's like, where did you go? Who's found favor upon you? And Naomi, uh, Ruth looks at Naomi and says, I went to the field of Boaz, and, and Naomi goes, oh, that's a close relative. It, it's a kinsman to our family, which it's a close relative. In other words, uh, this is an individual that has the ability to redeem, um, if anything, at least Ruth. And Naomi starts concocting this thing where she's going to decide to be a matchmaker. And she starts to tell Ruth a little bit of, kind of gives her some instructions on um, how to basically proceed in trying to get Boaz to uh, take her as a wife. Naomi tells Ruth to make sure she takes a bath, throws on her best perfume and her best clothes, and the next day you're going to go out and you're going to find Boaz who should be on the threshing floor. Um, This is where they uh, sorted everything out and he is going to be working pretty much all day, but at night he's going to have a meal, he's going to have a drink, and he's probably going to find a place to lay down and sleep because he's going to be really tired. And what I'd like you to do is just go up, pick the covers up off the bottom of his feet, and just lay down on his feet. Sounds kind of weird, but I guess that's just how they did it in their culture. Um, And what happens is, in the middle of the night, either his feet get cold or something, it says something startles them in the word. I believe it's God kind of poking at him saying, hey, (laughs) something at your feet. Boaz wakes up. And he looks down and he's startled. And he's like, who, who are you? And Ruth answers, I'm your servant, your maidservant. And would you please, I am, your, I am, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over, over your maid, for you are a close relative. The reason this is important is back when he was in the uh, field where they were working, when Boaz came up to talk to Ruth in uh, Ruth 2.12, he said, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full uh, from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. The word covering Ruth is using here is the same word as, the, uh, as Boaz uses when he says wing. And what that basically is, 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 is saying, I'm going to cover you as, as God has covered you under his wing, I'm going to cover you and I'm going to redeem you basically giving you the protection under, uh, under his, his house. Just then and there, it kind of flashes back into Boaz's mind that, oh, but there's, a, there's a, uh, an individual, a, a relative who's closer than I, and, um, and I will redeem you, but, but he has to have the first right of rescission. So basically, he's got to have that first choice to, to buy, purchase Naomi's property, um, which unfortunately, if you buy Naomi's property, you get Ruth as a wife, uh, which means you get a mother-in-law um, that you may not exactly choose. <laughs> so Boaz basically says, um, you, you know, in the morning wake up before it gets too light so nobody notices that there's a woman on the 
threshing floor. Uh, when she wakes up, he gives her uh, some barley and sends her on her way as just kind of a gift or a promise. I'm going to take care of you if this individual does not. Uh, that morning he gets up and he goes to the city wall, the city entrance, and he waits for this close relative to come by. And he <clears throat> chooses and he says, I have, I have to talk to you about this. You're a closer relative and I want to give you uh, the first rights to this. And, then he, and he also gathers 10 elders because he wants to make sure this is legal, legalized. You have to have witnesses. Um, he gives this individual the information. And Naomi's back. She has sell land. She's a widow. She needs the finances. And the guy says, yeah, I'm all about that. I'll definitely buy land. Oh, by the way, there's a clause. You have to marry uh, Ruth, her, her daughter-in-law. And at that point, he goes, no, you can have it. <laughs> so he turns, and part of the custom is he actually had to remove his shoe and hand it to Boaz. Um, and that's kind of the, I guess, their symbol of go right ahead. You can have it. Um, and then Boaz says, okay, I'm going to redeem. I'm going to pay off. I'm going to pay for the land for Naomi. And I'm also going to take Ruth as my wife. Uh, this redeems both Naomi because she now has the finances to live out her life uh, without issue. And uh, Ruth also gets a husband out of the deal, which is one of the huge things. How Boaz became God's provision, uh, kind of give you the picture of how Boaz became the Kingsman Redeemer. He Basically, he was clearly a faithful Israelite living a uh, living obedient to God. His heart for the Lord was evidenced by the words and his deeds and his responses of it, of other than characters in the story. Boaz was a near kinsman, obviously, to Ruth and uh, to Naomi and, of course, to Ruth. However, as we talked, there was a, a closer one, a closer relative that he had to um, make sure it was okay with him that he'd be able to uh, redeem the situation. Um, he was willing to perform it. Uh, performed the work of redemption. So he had the ability and the uh, apparently he was willing to. He had the ability, the financial means to be the redeemer. He was clearly a very successful businessman and farmer. He had servants who respected him. Um, he was also free. Like I said, uh, during this time of famine, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for somebody who would actually sell themselves to be, um, um, to be a slave uh, due to poverty. Um, in this case, Boaz obviously did not have to. Um, and he did pay the full price of redemption. He paid Naomi he, by redeeming Naomi's land and redeemed Ruth as his wife. The other thing that he got was a wife, um, and that's Ruth. And what's, it, what's really cool about this is when you see uh, how God works great things uh, for his purposes. Um, basically, um, through the marriage, they had a son named Obed. And then, if you know anything about the genealogy of Christ, um, Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And then, uh, eventually, you know, Matthew 1, it shows it goes even further down, all the way to Jesus, who is um, our kinsman redeemer. And it's kind, of fun. it's kind of fun when you sit back and read some of this stuff and you see how God played a lot of things out to show not, uh, not only imagery then, but imagery to us today of, of who Jesus is. 
Um, like uh, Boaz, like Boaz, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He ultimate, uh, he is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Uh, he meets all the criteria um, of being a near kinsman. Uh, he was made fully man. He is described as a brother who redeems us from the power of our sins. That's in Hebrews 2, uh, 14 through 17. Uh, Jesus was willing to perform the work of redemption. Jesus was willing to lay down um, his life in John ten eighteen, He redeemed us from the curse of the law so that we might re- receive the adoption of sons of God. He redeemed us from sins and unrighteousness. That can be find in, found in Romans 5 and Titus 2.12. Three, Jesus alone possessed the ability to redeem. He was sinless. Um, he was both fully man fully, and fully God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Um, and it can also be found in 1 Peter 1, 17, 18, you were not redeemed by the perishable things like gold and silver, but the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Which is fun that we had communion today. It really helps paint that picture. Jesus was free because he fulfilled the law. And then Jesus offered himself as the price of redemption. So basically he offered himself up in our, in our, on our behalf um, which out of this, uh, God offered this, well, Jesus offered this and with no payback. He knew that the ultimate payback was for us to be redeemed and get, redeemed to get uh, eternal life. So basically everything falls back to us. As long as we accept what he did, um, we need to know that that sin has already been forgiven. Um, it was already taken care of at the cross. All we have to do is accept what he did, accept him as our kinsman redeemer and we are set free. I'm trying to get somewhere with this, trust me. <laughs> but ultimately, we have to understand that if Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, that we are provided for and we have provision, God has already placed these things in our lives where if we would just take a step back and look at our situation, no matter what we're going through, and see that, that God is trying to work this stuff in our lives for good, it says in Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for the, good to, for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we know that God has called us to a purpose and we know that things happen in our lives, whether it's death, uh, whether it's the grief that comes from it, whether it's loss, whether it's standing on stage and having fear of speaking in front of large crowds, um, whether it's um, stepping up and, and praying out loud, whatever it is, whatever the fear is, we have to know that God has put all these things in our lives to uh, fulfill his purpose. And the sooner we get out of the way and stop concentrating on exactly what, uh, what the issue is and start looking at as how God is going to use this in our lives, uh, I believe the better off we will be and his purpose will be fulfilled. Um, we have to know that all of us have a purpose. We all have a plan. Uh, God has planned it out, and he's seen exactly how we're going to react to everything. Uh, we also need to look at when we have, uh, when we realize that we have a Redeemer and we are fully saved and we have the grace and love 
uh, we can also show that on others and perpetuate what God has done for us in other lives. We can approach him without issue, uh, without feeling um, without feeling like we can't. He is there 100 you know every single step of the day step of the way, every single day, all year round for every minute. And uh, the most important thing we need to do is in order to have a relationship with God, in order to understand God, we need to be in the Bible, we need to be in the Word, and we need to be studying so we know that when He's speaking to us, we understand who He is, we understand how He's going to talk to us, and how He's going to call us to do things. And we still need to know that God still provides a kinsman redeemer to all who will come under His wing. So He's always going to be there protecting and guiding us.